So we're getting into this kind of like digital storytelling realm. These technologies are going to be allowing us to have new ways of producing, consuming art, connecting with each other, connecting classrooms around the world. You can work on the same canvas um, in different areas of the world. It is quite fascinating. I'm able to step inside my own imagination. And he can actually go and stand next to life-size versions of his characters that came out of his own mind. So when I was a kid, TV was over there, far away. Now, you imagine going stand next to Bugs Bunny and go and say hey to him. Hey, how's it going? And jump alongside him. Hello, welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. The Leaders of Learning is a podcast show that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs. For more information and to listen to our previous episodes, head over to our website at www.leadersoflearning.asia. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. think of art, it is the artists, performers, musicians that come to mind. Art is a product of expression. Its purpose is to make sense of our reality or to manifest the vision of the artist. When we think of technology, it is computers, smartphones, and our modern gadgetry that comes to mind. Technology is invented to help solve our problems such as our ability to communicate, to travel, to improve healthcare, and much, much more. Art and technology can seem so far apart, as if they can never be friends. But can they? What happens when we intersect art and technology, when we mesh both together? Can we harness this combination for the greater good? Joining us is Kay Vasey, Chief Connecting Officer of Mesh Minds, a creative technology studio based in Singapore. Hi, Kay. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? Can you share a bit about yourself and how you got into art and tech? Yeah, sure. I'm the chief connecting officer and founder of MeshMinds and also our not-for-profit organization, the MeshMinds Foundation. And what we do, we are Singapore's kind of, I would say, maybe leading creative technology studio. Why I say we're leading is we're the actually only creative technology studio to have a partnership officially with UN Environment in the whole of Asia Pacific. And what that means is that we connect artists with new technologies like VR, AR, 3D printing, Internet of Things, AI. We teach them how to use it and we give them loans of that technology so that they can work on projects that are focused on the educating people about the importance of saving our planet. Well, that's amazing. Amazing that you got to work with UN Environment and help artists with technology. What is it about artists and helping them with technology that fascinates you? And how did you find 
out about this intersection and what fascinates you to get into it? Yeah, so previously I was a lawyer by training. I became a technology lawyer at one point in my life. I was looking at all of the kind of technology trends um, and realizing that lots of um, them were investing in creativity. And they all even had their own creative technology in residence programs where they would invite artists in and, you know, similar to what we're doing, right? So I was thinking, you know, if you have all of these amazing technology companies doing that in their headquarters in in the US, what's happening actually here in Asia? I was also previously head of arts at the British Council in Singapore. And my whole job there was actually to bring British artists to Singapore to collaborate with Singapore artists on really cool um, projects. And I've also done volunteering all of my life. Um, I've been to, you know, Israel on turtle saving programs. Um, I've, I've resurfaced roads and put the roof back on huts in uh, Spain, you know, these, these types of things. So I was kind of like art and tech for good is the culmination of all of those three things. Being head of arts at the British Council, being a technology lawyer, and also volunteering all of my life. Um, and I was really noticing that there are these huge trends, actually, in the technology companies to invest in creativity, to bring artists in so that they can have a kind of fresh pair of eyes. Artists, we feel, are some of the best placed people on the planet that look at things in a very different way. They like to kind of turn things on their head and, and kind of ask really interesting questions about why should this be this? Is this cup a cup? Could it be something else? If we turn it over, it could be something we could... Pretend it's something else or make it look like something else and have another form and function. Artists are also some of the best placed people on the planet, we feel, to communicate really serious topics. They can inject a little bit of fun. They can inject a little bit of a different way of looking at perhaps something visually rather than perhaps reading about, uh, you know, the dire consequences of microplastics in our oceans, for example, through thousands of words and perhaps a few pictures in a brochure. Isn't it perhaps more interesting, as Adeline Tan, one of the amazing Singapore artists that we've worked with, why don't we take her visual creations, make them into 3D objects and import that whole world into virtual reality so that you can actually step inside a virtual human stomach and you can be surrounded by giant tardigrades, which are these normal nanoscopic creatures. They've been proven scientifically to be ingesting microplastics themselves, which is yet another way that microplastics are getting into the human system. And actually, by using your VR controllers, you then have 60 seconds to shoot as many microplastics as you can. And each one that you shoot explodes and it tells you where it comes from. Does that one come from, uh, is that a microfiber from your clothing? Is that a piece of cigarette but is that a plastic bottle? Is it a coffee cup? And what we're actually noticing from that interaction is that people that we survey afterwards say that they rate themselves five out of 10 for how much they know about microplastics beforehand and nine out of 10 for how much they know about it afterwards. That 60 second VR interactive super fun game, always starting with the art of Adeline Tan is able then to show that amazing increase in engagement and education. So that's why we are thinking about that topic of bringing that art and technology together so that in a really short period of time, you can engage someone, make them relaxed because it's fun, and then hit them with that serious message that they will then retain and remember. And next time when they're actually faced with a, for example, buying decision at the cashier, they might stop and think, hey, 
I remember. I remember for that 60 seconds playing that really fun game, but I learned all about microplastics. And actually, what I should do right now is refuse to buy that plastic bottle of water. I'll go home. I'll just drink from the tap. It sounds like a really powerful tool to help people learn about the important issues that are going on around the world. The example of Edelintan and the microplastics, it helps the users to learn about microplastics within a short period of time. But what I remember from my younger days, art and science is usually a separate stream in school. And in education, art is educated with a particular mindset and science is educated in a different mindset. Don't you find it challenging to get artists to learn about tech and what kind of challenges do you face there? Yeah. So we're in the business of kind of forging these collaborations and we're not expecting every single artist to become a technologist. And we're not expecting every technologist to suddenly become super amazing at painting, for example. Everyone has their own skills. And what we find is the best starting point is actually to bring the artists and technologists together so that they can share their different disciplines, their different ways of looking at things. And somehow in the middle, that's where they can meet. You know, we've been talking for a very, very long time about this kind of the two cultures. You know, C.P. Snow put a, an essay together, you know, in, even in the 1960s, even before that, we've always thought about why are the sciences so different from the humanities? And is that kind of a scourge on our world? Perhaps we should be connecting these two topics more. But I think it's it's not everyone can be this kind of creative technologist. It's getting slightly easier nowadays. But I do feel that from where we're standing, what we're finding is it's very, very important not to lose focus on the fact that if you would like to become a creative technologist, you must hone your artistic skills. Without the actual artistic skills, without the ability to draw, you cannot animate. Without the ability to paint and think about how something looks visually, it's going to be really hard for you to create that uh, 3D world where that people can step into inside virtual reality. Now, technology is kind of like, you know, what we're doing in terms of virtual reality, augmented reality. Largely, it's just down to programming languages again. So it can be taught and learned in the same way as many scientific subjects. Go away, digest this book, read this articles, watch these videos. You know, the great thing now is that there's so many online help tutorials. Uh, there are whole communities of people out there who are ready and willing to answer your questions on, I got as far as this in my programming code, but it really doesn't, you know, it just breaks every time I try and run the code. And, you know, it's quite amazing because people who are really good at the technology side can literally look at a, like hundreds of lines of code and point out, oh, it's there. You see, you've got that extra space and that full stop there. That's going to screw your entire program running. So if you just remove that, then it'll just run. You know, that's what we find is, is quite fascinating when we work with the technologists, their approach to it, right? It's very systematic. But you cannot just expect a technologist to pick up a paintbrush and just start drawing. That's why we always start with the art. When we, whenever, every single time we approach any of our, our art and technology projects, we start with the art and the artist. 
what is your vision about this particular serious topic? We found that actually having Andre come up with those really cool designs and then us working with him to bring together the technology coding part to make that appear on your face, to make the interaction happen when you blow into the camera, that was the perfect marriage because then it's that cool intersection of entertainment but also an education right so it's kind of edutainment in that way like and that's that's why we always think if we'd actually just sat there with the technologist first we probably wouldn't have got to our amazing outcome because the experience itself needed to look cool and be beautiful first and then we could program it later what is the challenge of technologists to be able to become a creative technology in the way you describe it? I think they still, if you really genuinely want to have both crossover skills, you're going to have had to have some kind of formal arts training at some point. Now, that doesn't mean to say that Heichel, our chief creative technologist, you know, he came from a graphic design background. So he's not very good at drawing pen and paper, but he's very good at, uh, you know, graphic design programming. So he has an appreciation for the art, but he wouldn't like to be in charge of the art himself. Now, our other uh, more junior who, um, creative technologist, Tristan, who's just joined us, he has graduated with fine arts from LaSalle and, you know, with, with a first. He is now being trained by Heichel in all of the AR programming languages, that kind of stuff. So I think Tristan actually has a better kind of chance at becoming a solid creative technologist who spans both worlds because he's already on the path because, you know, in his spare time, he's already taught himself motion graphics. He already has that kind of mindset of like, I'm able to teach myself stuff that I didn't obviously uh, learn when I was studying fine arts at La Salle. So he will be more a 50-50 guy. Whereas I think because Heiko came more from the technology side, he'll always be more the 75-25 because, you know, unless he actually then sit, says to himself, right, I'm actually now going to go and take a drawing course at LaSalle. And I'm, you know, and that's, there's never, never too late to do that, of course. And then he really hones his drawing skills. That's how he can become more 50-50. I think the role of the creative technologist you just described is really intense because you need some level of expertise for the arts, some level of expertise for the tech. And depending on what kind of background you're from, you have different percentages of art and tech. So when you talk about art skills, what particular kind of art skills is required for a creative technologist? Is it purely just drawing? Let me break it down. So I suppose, yeah, I mean, the both the augmented reality, which is again, the one where you look through your phone and you activate it through your phone and the virtual reality where you have to put something in a headset and you kind of step inside that world. Both of those come from 2D visual arts bases, basically. So any 2D drawing can now quite easily be made into a 3D drawing. And even then, you actually don't need to always make every 2D drawing into a 3D drawing first to make it an augmented reality or virtual reality experience. You can keep it still flat. The cool way that you could do that is by using an Apple iPad, for example. They have this really cool program called Procreate. And from the very, very first stroke that you do with your Apple Pencil, it then records it and you can play it back in a time-lapse. Now, once you have that little time-lapse video, that's gold dust. Because what you can do is you can 
find your, your end image is your tracker image. You could print postcards, you could keep that on a screen, whatever you want to do with it. But then there's, for example, very simple programs called Artivi, for example. It's literally drag and drop. So on the left side, you put your 2D static image. On the right side, you upload your time-lapse video that you created on your iPad. And then it just says, if you put a phone up to the static image, please play this video. And that's how augmented reality magic can just suddenly take place right by just using some very simple technology tools that are available to everyone right now. So I think that's, that's kind of the base. Other things like sculpting, 3D sculpting, ceramic sculpting, that kind of stuff, those kinds of skills, those also can be applied to virtual reality now. There's a really cool program called Oculus Medium. And again, you put your headset on, your controllers become these virtual sculpting tools. And it's literally like molding a virtual piece of clay. So imagine you have a ball. If you want to make a face, first of all, you push in some eye sockets. So you just literally push the ball with your two tools. If you want to make the nose, you then grab with your tool and pull the ball towards you. So simple things like that. You can make very, very simple shapes. It's a lot to do with um, volumetric shapes. Those, those, so if, if you're good at looking at volumetric shapes in that way, good at playing with things with your hands, you could easily now step into virtual reality modeling as well. And once you've created that in virtual reality, somebody else can go in and stand next to your creation. Better than that, that model, can you can also bring that into virtual uh, augmented reality and put him on the table in front of us. And we could make him giant or we could make him really, really small just by using our controllers. So, you know, th- and this is what fascinates me now as well about animation further. If you're going to study animation, don't stop at your laptop go into virtual reality animation. We've just been running a program in China with 10 Shanghainese artists where we've gone in and taught them virtual reality art making, which is the sculpting program I just told you about, Medium, and virtual animation, which is Quill. Now, the new features on Quill that were just released in July allow you to have these timelines that are playing as you're creating. So very, very quickly, you're able to put together characters that then can be animated very, very quickly. So for example, if we're going to make a little man and then we're using timestamps, et cetera, and just moving his legs around, we're then able to very quickly make him walk across the table. Now, the cool thing about digital art is that you're then able to replicate that very, very quickly. So we could make an entire army of those little men going across our screen. Even better than that, we can record it and I can show you on a mobile phone, but the absolute icing on the cake is that we can actually go and stand inside that army. We can run alongside that army if we want to. We can become part of that cartoon or that animation. Oh, that's just amazing of all the things that are going on. And I can see why you start with the artist first, because the VR tools and the AR tools to create the imagery are already there. Then I wonder what is the role of the technologist if the artists already have those technology tools to create that AR, VR environment? Because the technologist is always going to be one step ahead. 
They're in always what way? because um, technology moves at such a rapid pace. So even with Quill that I was just explaining, when it was first released, it didn't have it had a really limited feature bucket. And now only just in July they've released all of these amazing features that make it very much faster to create the animation. Now a technologist just by their very kind of set of passions and interests, they're always looking at the latest trends and the latest features. So they are always the ones who will be able to tell the artist like, well, actually, did you know there's this new feature coming that's going to make your stuff even better, even more powerful, even more, you know, faster to create or even more immersive, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the role of the technologist is always there to be kind of like pioneering new features that will make the artist kind of life even easier in that sense. And so that, that conversation has to be ongoing because the artist always has to be the one to feed back and say, you know what? When I'm trying to create that sphere, you know, and, and make it into that man's face, you know, if you could just make the kind of eye socket feature for me automatically, that'd be like even better, you know, or if I could replicate much faster, or if I could colorize different parts of it um, using different tools, you know, and so then then the technologist would go away and be like, yeah, no problem. I can, I can make those features for you. But it needs to be that ongoing conversation, you see, because the technologist won't know what the artist needs and the artist won't necessarily know what's possible. Do you know of any examples where the combination of art and tech is used in certain industries and what is the outcome of that? Do you know of any? Well, I mean, I suppose in the loosest sense of art, right? So photography is still an art form, okay? And for example, in uh, the medical industry, what they're now doing is they're using photogrammetry, which is nothing more than stitching photos together. So imagine you kind of your grandma's there <laughs> with her sewing kit and she's got thousands of photos to stitch together. But when she's done that, she has an enormous quilt that when you are, when you kind of put it together in a particular form, creates this 3D world. Now, what we're actually doing in medicine is using that photogrammetry technique to scan people's bodies and we can actually look inside them. So what doctors are doing now are performing virtual operations, right? So from photography all the way to being able to have a virtual human on an operating table and going through the motions of knowing exactly where to put your first scalpel cut, where to cut around the second, where then you're going to have to end and sew everything up. And that technology is allowing operations to become so much more successful because, I mean, the human body is really complex. So having just that ability to have a quick run through of what you're doing is enormously helpful to doctors, you know. So I guess, yeah, it kind of depends on your definition of art, you know, so, and then kind of that in industrial application. I think what we're finding a lot is the kind of virtual reality and augmented reality are really revolutionizing the way that human beings are trained to do certain things and training aspects as well in terms of whether simulations, this was another one in um, the kind of transport industry. So these people created this whole kind of 3D simulation of a storm, right? So, but it had to be hyper-realistic, okay? So again, the artists are the ones who can make a hyper-realistic looking storm. And then the technologists come in and go, okay, right, now we're going to program it so that, okay, we know that we're going to also make a simulation. So the people that have to do, when you guide a, tr a plane in, for example, 
You need to do it in all kinds of weather, all kinds of situations. You know, maybe it's different to guide a plane in that has a, a broken engine, for example, but especially difficult to do it in a storm. So what happens in like kind of present day, a few you know years ago when we didn't have this technology is that they would actually have to wait for the storm and be like, oh my goodness, okay, who hasn't done their storm training? Right, get outside right now. You need to go and guide the aircraft in and we all need to kind of figure out how it's done. Now you can virtually simulate that environment and then, you know, everyone can do that training instantly, right? So that all of that, all of these industries are benefiting from this kind of mashing together of this kind of first, how do we create this super realistic replica of this environment? And then how do we also use the technology to make it into a training program? So I think it's it's going to change a lot of different industries. So it really is whatever industry you're in is really worthwhile just kind of taking time, maybe once a week at least, to kind of see what virtual reality, augmented reality, especially these two things. Are there any new developments that in your industry that you might need to maybe think, hmm, maybe I need to go on a course on, maybe I need to think, you know, maybe read up on it. Maybe it's going to be useful in a future meeting where I'm trying to sell something, you know, <laughs> there's all these different things. I think it's definitely worth worth finding out about for sure. So let's say I'm someone in a particular industry. I'm just going to randomly pick maybe maritime. I, I like sail ships or something. I listen to this podcast and I'm inspired. Yay, Kay inspired me. I want to be a creative technologist and create all these fantastic simulations for my maritime colleagues. Where can I start? To become literally a just technology. right now Googling because there are so, just, you know, and if it was, for example, VR and shipping, AR shipping, you know, there, there's now so much information on the internet about, you know, all of these different topics. I can't even tell you to even go to one particular source. There are so many good ones and they're now just kind of popping up industry specific as well. But yeah, I mean, there are latest trends, websites, all that kind of stuff just worth kind of just keeping in the loop. I mean, it depends on especially what type of emerging technology that you're interested in as well. Obviously, from our perspective, it's the VR. AR is the, our most focus. But then, you know, things like blockchain, AI, you know, all this kind of facial recognition stuff, which is pretty scary. This is rapidly changing, even the way that every single human being just goes about their daily life. So I think it's kind of important for everyone to understand where we're going to and what is happening even in different countries. I don't know if you read, but, you know, in Singapore, we are trialing like these super heavy duty cameras that are actually going to be attached to low level uh, police robots that will then parade the streets. Now, these cameras that they're looking at are apparently as powerful as the one that they're using in China to track down criminals. And I was reading this article about this criminal that went on the run and he wasn't even caught near his home. He was picked out in a crowd of 60,000 people at a festival. And I'm like... Goodness me. How scary is that? <laughs> yeah. And so that goes back to kind of the photography part, right? Kind of linked to cameras, etc. What are we doing with all of that? It's kind of, I find it equal parts really exciting and terrifying at the same time. So I think it's worthwhile for everyone nowadays to spend at least a bit of their week just finding out um, whatever you're interested in, which part of, you know, technology, etc. are you interested in? Whether it affects your daily life or whether it affects your work life or both, it's worthwhile just kind of keeping ahead of the trends and stuff. So if uh, our listeners were to take away anything from today's conversation, what would that key message be, you think? 
Stay curious, stay educated, keep on with your lifelong learning. It's a journey and there's so much more information out there now. If you put your head under the sand, you're literally just going to get left behind. And we don't want that. So no, we definitely don't want that. Yeah. Keep listening and learning always. Thank you so much, Kay. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? You can always find me, you can on, pop me an email if you wish, uh, kay at meshminds.com. Always willing, lovely to hear from you. Or you can just pop us, uh, uh, contact us through the website. Yeah, love to. We're, I mean, we're always looking for new ideas for how we get people focused on the importance of protecting the planet through these new technologies and art. So if anyone has any ideas, we'll love, love to work with you. Lovely. Thank you so much, Kay. Thank you so much. That was Kay Vasey, Chief Connecting Officer of Mesh Minds, a creative technology studio based in Singapore. In the next episode, we will speak to Sean Sharma, an expert in design thinking and business innovation. We will talk about design thinking. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us wherever you download your podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also visit our website at www.leadersoflearning.asia to listen to our previous episodes. If you believe this podcast show will help a colleague, friend, or family member, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. I'm your host, Ling Ling. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.